Good morning, Redemption Church. My name is John, and I'm a member here. Our scripture reading this morning is Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. Verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is God's word for us today. Thank you, John. Good morning, church. Let's pray together as we look to God's word in this way. God, I'm struck by the lyrics of a song we've just sung. That the lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Our God has lived with us to be our steadfast life, and we will forever his people be. And what is the result of that? All glory be to Christ. God, we thank you for the wonder of the gospel. We pray that we would see even just a small glimpse into it that, that, that maybe we haven't seen before we came today. And we pray, God, most of all, that you would deepen our faith in the crucified Son that you sent to justify us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, think with me for a little bit here. Um, it, it is not enough Would you agree to start a business with this great plan to make money if that business plan changes and your business falls apart, right? It won't really matter how it started if that's how it goes. Uh, It is not enough to start your flight to Florida by getting on an airplane. If you jump out somewhere over Cincinnati, uh, your flight will not be ending in Florida, and it won't matter how the flight started. Uh, It is not enough to start your diet by eating all the right foods. Uh, If you stop eating those foods, that diet will not be very helpful to you, and it will not matter how the diet started. I have plenty of experience with that last one. But this is often how it goes in life. 
Uh, It is not enough to start the right way. We have to continue in the same way we've started. What we're going to see today is the same is true of the Christian life. We have to continue in the Christian life by the same power it began. Now, in last week's passage, Paul was still explaining this conflict he had with Peter in Antioch. He wanted us to see last week about justification that Peter was out of step with the gospel, and Peter was being a hypocrite, and Peter was not being a servant of Christ that day, all because he drew back from his Gentile brothers and sisters to please a group of Jewish friends that he had. His fear of these Jewish men made him separate himself from his Gentile brothers and sisters, even though he was justified for his sins into this family in the exact same way as his Gentile brothers and sisters. And that is not by being circumcised and not by living like a Jew or obeying the law, but by faith in God's crucified Son. That's the only way in. That's what Paul told us last week. But what he said last week about justification was to help us understand that conflict with Peter. And then, here in chapter 3, verse 1, notice, he clearly turns his attention back to these churches in Galatia. He says to them, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so, first, Paul seems to think that these Galatians did know and understand what he just taught about justification until someone came along and bewitched them. And that was almost certainly the same missionaries who he mentioned in chapter 1 were troubling them and trying to distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. These would be the men who convinced them as Gentiles they had to be circumcised and obey the law and that they had to circumcise their other Gentile believers and have them obey the law. Now, it's really also interesting that Paul asks who has bewitched them. It seems to suggest he actually did not know the men who came and preached in this way. Uh, one, one biblical scholar, Doug Moo, he's one of my favorites, in his commentary on Galatians, he has this great word picture where he basically says it's almost like Paul is here and he's arguing with these missionaries he doesn't know who confuse these churches, and the Galatian churches are just kind of in the middle. He's kind of arguing with them and trying to correct them, and, and obviously these ones have been bewitched by those, and he's trying to get them on his side. It's a really good visual image of what's going on in this letter. But more than that, I want you to notice the reason why it was so foolish for the Galatians to be bewitched in this way. And it's because Jesus Christ, he says, was portrayed as crucified before their eyes, Paul says. Now, this does not mean that they actually witnessed him being crucified. He was crucified in Jerusalem uh, a few decades before this. What it means is that they witnessed real gospel preaching. And that's significant. For Paul to see and hear another human being preaching the good news of God's crucified son, which you're doing right now, (laughs) to see and hear this is to witness Jesus not being crucified, but being publicly portrayed 
as crucified. I'm saying it out loud for anyone to hear. And, and to do this is to witness Christ publicly portrayed with your own eyes. For Paul, clearly something about this message makes it far more than just a message. For Paul, you cannot listen to this message and certainly not believe this message without dying and becoming a part of it yourself. And remember, he just told us last week that he was crucified with Christ and that the life he now lives in his flesh, he lives by faith in God's crucified son. So here's the point. If we witness Christ publicly portrayed as crucified in this way, if we hear this good news that his flesh was nailed to a wooden cross so that we can be justified, and if we believe in that good news, we would be fools to let someone bewitch us into relying on our own flesh. This is the question in view throughout this whole passage. Whose flesh do we need to rely on to get into God's family? Is it Christ's flesh or is it our flesh? This is what's going on. The Galatians started by relying on Christ's flesh. At least Paul thought they did until these missionaries bewitched them. Now, all of a sudden, they're relying on their flesh. They're literally circumcising themselves and actually choosing to eat some foods and not by the Old Testament law. They're relying on their bodies. And both Paul and I am going to argue today that only God's Son can keep us in God's family by the power of God's Spirit. Only God's Son can keep us in God's family by the power of God's Spirit. In other words, if we stop relying on His crucified flesh and we start to rely on ours, then as Paul said last week, we, we are rebuilding what we've torn down and we are proving to be transgressors, which means that we are both not truly justified and therefore we are not part of God's spiritual family. Even if we're circumcised, even if we try to live as a Jew, even if we are a Jew, because God is not creating a physical family by the power of our flesh. He is creating a spiritual family by the power of Christ's crucified flesh. Now, I basically just fast-forwarded through this whole passage and told you everything Paul has to say, and that's because, to be honest, it's a little complicated, and it's going to really help us to have this picture in mind, the whole picture, before we dive in. Next, what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage, and I want us to consider today what happens if we go back to relying on our flesh, if we continue by a different power than we started. And I want you to notice each of these points has something to do with God's Spirit because he's the one who's doing it. So first, if we go back to relying on our flesh, we are neglecting God's spiritual power. Look with me at verse 2. You can tell Paul's a little wired. He's, he's kind of fired up here. Uh, you don't say this unless you're a little testy. Uh, let me ask you only this, he says. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Now, that's obviously a rhetorical question, and based on everything Paul's already told us about not relying on the works of the law, we can assume the answer to this rhetorical question is by hearing with faith. The Galatians received God's Spirit by hearing the good news of His crucified Son and believing in Him. Now, I want to say, if you miss that detail, it's going to be really hard to make sense of this passage. 
It really is. And actually, it's going to be really hard to make sense of the rest of this letter. There is a powerful connection between the good news of God's crucified Son and God's Spirit. One scholar put it this way. I was so excited when I read this. This is one of my first, my favorite sentences I've read this week. One scholar says it this way. The preaching of the cross unleashes the power of the Spirit. That is right. That is exactly what Paul is saying in this passage. If you think that sounds cool, just imagine what a joy and privilege it is to get to do that most weeks. I, I, I never want to take this for granted. I, I mean that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thank you for that privilege. Uh, more importantly, I want us to see when a person hears the good news of God's crucified Son and he believes in Him, he receives the Spirit of God Himself. The, the third member of the Trinity comes to actually live in that person. This is perfectly in line with what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, In Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And so here's the point. Paul's saying, if you received God's Spirit by relying on the crucified flesh of his Son, and then you let someone bewitch you to relying on your own flesh, you are a fool. You're like the guy who jumps out of the plane on the way to Florida because he somehow thinks he can fly. You can't fly. You're like the guy who stops eating the right foods and thinks he's going to still lose weight. You're not going to lose any weight. Paul's saying, it is not our flesh that unleashes the power of God's Spirit. It is our faith in Christ's flesh that does that. We cannot rely on both. I want you to see that. We cannot rely on both. Why? It's because we have to crucify our flesh in order to live by faith in His. So Paul's point in verses 1 to 5 is this. Guys, you should know better. If you go back to relying on your flesh, you will not have the power of God's Spirit. And that's the whole key to this whole thing. Then in verse 6, Paul takes what might seem like a real left turn to you. Um, and he starts talking about Abraham. And that's because he wants us to see that if we go back to relying on our flesh, number two, we are excluded from God's spiritual family. Right? So after all this talk about trusting in Christ and being justified and receiving the Spirit, Paul kind of gives us a, an example. He tacks on an example at the end. Look at verse 6. He says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, if you have not been tracking with this family language so far throughout the letter, that, uh, you might read that and wonder, well, what does all this have to do with Abraham? If, you, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you might even wonder, well, who is Abraham? Uh, or at the very least, you might just assume Paul's just using Abraham as one example of faith from the Old Testament. The truth is, Paul is doing much, much more than that. Thankfully, we just finished our series through Abraham's life in the book of Genesis. I hope that will serve us well today. In that series, we saw that from Genesis chapter 12 all the way through, the entire Old Testament really is the story of God raising up his very own family from the descendants of this one man, Abraham. God was creating a family. And in particular, he made a promise to Abraham 
that he would give this man many, many children, that he would raise those children up into a great nation, and that somehow, through this family, all the other families of the earth will be blessed. All nations will be blessed. And he even promised, if you remember, that along the way, he would bless those who bless Abraham, and he would curse those who dishonored him. We'll come back to that. That will be important later. Now listen, up to this point in Galatians, Paul's primary focus has been on the gospel of God's crucified son. But if we don't see what that means for the family, uh, we may be confused by this, but the rest of this letter from this point on uh, is is designed, rather, to help these Galatian churches to untangle all of their confusion about this family of Abraham and what it means to actually be his son. Uh, That is what these missionaries have bewitched them about. They've confused them by. Chances are they were saying something along these lines. Well, yeah, faith in Jesus is the way into God's family, especially for you (laughs) as a Gentile, because you're not actually the offspring of Abraham. But if you want to stay in God's family, you need to go way, way back, past Paul, past Jesus, you need to go all the way back. You don't know that Paul never told you this? You have to be circumcised into the covenant family of Israel, and you have to obey and keep Israel's laws. That's what it means to be a son of Abraham. Israel is Abraham's family. And in verse 6, Paul is starting to say, guys, no. No. By the way, that's not even how it worked for Abraham. There was nothing special about Abraham. Even he was not righteous in and of himself. None of his offspring are either. Into this day, it was his faith that God counted as righteousness. You remember this from our series. Abraham fumbled through his life for 25 years trying to create this family by the power of his own flesh. It wasn't until he trusted God enough to actually kill the fleshly son God gave him, to kill us, that we all of a sudden realize, oh yeah, this guy has what it takes. He has faith. And don't forget then, who did provide the sacrifice that day when those lights clicked on? It was God. Paul's saying, that's what he's doing here. This was never just about the literal descendants of Abraham. This was always about faith in God. And so in verse 7, Paul says, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham, which means you do not need to be circumcised. You do not need to become citizens of Israel. You certainly do not need to keep the law by the power of your flesh. Because here's the key. You already became sons of Abraham when you relied on Christ. Your Gentile churches are the new spiritual family of God. Both of us, Jews and Gentiles, get into that spiritual family the same way, being justified by faith alone. And Paul's trying to help them see, guys, listen, that is not in conflict with the Old Testament scriptures. It is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures. Genesis 12 has been preaching that good news since God promised to bless all nations through Abraham. 
Now, I realize uh, you, you may have a, a lot of questions about the Old Testament, and it's complicated. I get it. There's a lot that we will talk about in the weeks ahead about the law and the promise and the true Israel. I get it. For now, here's what we need to understand. The point of Israel was never just the nation of Israel. The point of Israel is Christ, who God sent to redeem all nations into a new kind of spiritual family. How? Not by the power of our flesh. It's the power of our faith in his crucified flesh. So here is the point. If you try to get in to God's earthly family by the power of your flesh, then Galatians, you will be excluded from his spiritual family, which God is creating by the power of Christ's flesh. And then Paul hints kind of towards the third thing that happens if we go back to relying on our flesh. Look with me at verse 9. He says, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then he starts talking about a blessing and a curse. And that's because if we go back to relying on our flesh, number three, we are still under God's spiritual curse. Now here again, a little Old Testament crash course, refresher, is going to be really, really helpful for us. Okay, even long before God promised to bless Abraham's descendants and to curse those who dishonor him, long before that, way back in Genesis chapter 1, when he created all things and he made the very first man and woman in his image, he told that first couple to have a family. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And in particular, he, he blessed them so that they could. So actually, if you go back to two series ago in Genesis, Genesis chapters 1 to 11, I mentioned back then that this idea of being blessed by God uh, does not mean uh, that he helps us take better Instagram pictures, right? Hashtag blessed. Uh, what this means is that God will use his spiritual power to make our lives go well. And specifically in the area of fruitfulness and multiplication, having children who multiply families. So what I want us to see here is that God has always wanted to bless his image-bearing people by multiplying them into one family. Always. And it was our sin that ruined his plan to bless us in this way and led, in fact, to us being cursed instead. And the point is this. God's solution to that was to send his eternal, sinless son to take on human flesh. Jesus was born into the earthly family of Israel as if he was one of these humans that was cursed. And by taking on human flesh in this way, it is as if God became his own curse. He became a curse for us. He embodied the curse, and yet he is without sin, which is why when his sinless body died, he overcame the curse, and he rose again to eternal life. And now, all of us have two options. We can either try to obey all of the law perfectly to the final letter of it and then receive the curse of God if we break even just one small part of it, or we can rely on his sinless, crucified flesh, which has set us free from the curse of the law altogether. Read with me. With all that in mind, read with me verses 13 and 14. Paul says, Christ 
redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. And here's why he was hanged on a tree. So that in him, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we, that is together as Jews and Gentiles, because Paul is not part of the Gentile we, he's a Jew, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so I want us to see, I want us to notice, Paul ends here right where he began. He ends with God's spirit. If you want to be in God's family, you actually need God's spirit. And if you want God's spirit, you need to rely on the flesh of his crucified son. And if you ever go back to relying on yours, the whole thing falls apart. Do we see that? Only God's son can keep us in God's family by the power of God's spirit. Now, this last part will be quick, but what I want to do is just sort of reverse engineer this. <laughs> I want us to consider together, well, what happens if we keep relying on the crucified flesh of God's Son? Well, instead of neglecting the spiritual power of God, we have access to God's own spirit as we hear the gospel and we rely on His Son over and over. We will live by the power of His Spirit. And Christ himself will empower our obedience to God. He will live through our life in the flesh, and therefore, we will actually start to obey God in the way he intends. Our lives will look more and more like his. Also, instead of being excluded from God's spiritual family, if we rely on Christ's flesh, we are included in God's spiritual family, and we will stay in his family. Our faith in Christ makes us sons of Abraham. It makes us brothers and sisters in God's family. And then in chapter 5, Paul will tell us about the fruit of God's spirit that is supposed to mark this spiritual family. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, a number of things that are only now possible for us if we keep relying on Christ's flesh to live by the power of God's Spirit. And for those reasons, finally, number three, we will receive God's spiritual blessing instead of His curse. God will use the power of His now-resurrected Son to make our spiritual lives go well. We will be truly justified, and we will stay justified. God will be pleased with us. He will even deliver us from this present evil age rather than judging us when it comes to an end. Here's the thing. All of that right there, everything we've just talked about is only possible, and it will only be possible if we keep relying on the flesh of his crucified son. Because only God's son can keep us in God's family by the power of God's Spirit. So let's zoom out a little bit now. Let's just consider uh, three takeaways from this. What does this mean for us today? The first thing this means is this. We have no spiritual power in and of ourselves. We have none. I would say we will avoid so many spiritual dangers in our lives if we just settle this right here in our minds that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. It is so important 
for us to know this. And more importantly, it's important that we embrace this. Because if we basically think, you know, we can eventually figure out our spiritual lives, we will never rely on Christ to do it. And we will never live by the power of God's Spirit. And so here's what this means. It means that your neediness, it means that your spiritual incompetence, it means that your lack of godliness, these are not things we need to sort of keep hidden from God and from others in order to kind of give them the impression that we do have spiritual power within us. No, these are things we need to confess so that we can experience the power of God's Spirit. You see that we will never experience the power of God's Spirit in our lives until we embrace the powerlessness of our flesh. We never will. Now, we don't need to flaunt our sins as if we're like super authentic because we're totally messed up and we're always like telling everybody about it, right? No, what we need is to simply admit our sin, to confess it, and then to get our eyes off of it and on to Christ. That's how we became Christians, is it not? We heard the gospel. We're convicted of our sin. We relied on Christ. And here's the thing. That does not mean that now we have some spiritual power in and of ourselves. No. It means we've been crucified, and our spiritual power always keeps coming from him and from that faith. If we ever move on from that gospel and that Jesus and start relying on ourselves in any way, it ruins the whole thing. But I think it's important that we consider how that actually happens in people's lives. Uh, because, unfortunately, it is not just when they are persuaded by heretical doctrine. Uh, and, and it is not just when they decide in, in their minds, oh, you know what, I want to start earning my way to heaven. I have to imagine there are probably very few people who actually think that even. Frankly, relying on our flesh is the default for every single person apart from faith in Christ. And so here's what that means. We should not assume that we are immune from relying on our flesh in this way, or even that it's unlikely we would ever rely on our flesh in this way. We should assume that we are bound to rely on our flesh in this way the moment we take our eyes off of this crucified son. We, we will sink right into the ocean like Peter did that day. Why? Because we have no power in ourselves to walk on water. We can't do that in our flesh. He can. Only he can. So relying on ourselves rather than God is the only way we know how to live. And that's why we have to be crucified. So when a church member comes to you and unloads all their messy, complicated problems, uh, do not first say to them, wow, that's messed up. Don't you have more spiritual power than that? Right? As if the power they need should be in there. And you're kind of surprised it's not. Also, do not tell them, oh, I get it. I'm messed up too. But here's how you can fix that. As if they have the power they need to fix it, and all they're missing is your timely advice. And finally, do not tell them, yeah, I know, this is a wicked, sinful world. Just can't wait for Jesus to come back. As if there is no spiritual power to sustain them now in this life, there is. 
Instead, church, we need to tell them our next takeaway. We need to tell them that God's crucified son has all the spiritual power you will ever need. All of it. And most importantly, I want to say this, everything we're talking about today, most importantly, is true for each one of us individually. I want to be really clear about this application point. I'm not talking about God's family here. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you as an individual. It is not enough for you to start your Christian life by the power of God's gospel and God's spirit. You have to continue by the same power you began, and you're not going to find that kind of power anywhere else. You will never improve your spiritual life by moving beyond this gospel and this spirit. And here's what that means. We need, church, we need to fill our lives with the hearing of God's gospel so that we can truly live by the power of God's spirit. We will ne- you always wonder, how am I going to experience God's spirit? Here's how. It's not by going on a hike. <laughs> it's not by, you know, doing anything with your flesh even. It's by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and relying on him. It's by falling more and more in love with this crucified God-man and trusting him more and more, over and over. Every Sunday, every small group, every devotional in all of life. That is how we experience the Spirit. It goes hand in hand with the Son. This should also change the way, actually, we listen to preaching. Uh, For example, uh, we should not just sort of tune out all that Bible stuff and wait for the end when we get to the application or the takeaways. As if, well, come on, Danny, just, just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do in my flesh. The point is this. You won't be able to do that. Whatever it is that I say, unless God's word stirs deeper faith in God's son so that you can do it by the power of God's spirit. And so we should not listen for an entertaining style that we really like or prefer. We should not listen for the pastor's, you know, engaging illustrations. My life's not that interesting. It has no spiritual power to help you be justified of your sins. And we should not even listen just to learn more about these ancient historical writings. Each Sunday, we need to be listening for eternal truths about the wondrous mystery of who Christ is and what Christ has done, and what all of this means for our lives today. And unless we preach and listen in this way, our preaching and our listening will have no spiritual power whatsoever. But if we do, if we do, then our preaching and our listening will unlock the power of God's Spirit. If we assume that there's some other power out there that can do all of this, we are fools. (laughs) Nothing we buy will give us this kind of power. Nothing we do will give us this kind of power. Nothing we say will give us this kind of power unless we speak of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That man and that message contain all the spiritual power you will ever need in your life, period. Now, this does not mean that the Christian life is now some sort of big, heavenly, theological daydream. 
It does not mean that we should never try and actually put effort into obeying God and living more like Jesus. No, we should live our entire lives as if they are a living sacrifice to God. But here's the point. They never will be unless we rely on the ultimate sacrifice of God, which is the sacrifice of his crucified son, the one he has provided. And so let's not take this takeaway and use it as an excuse to justify our apathy in our spiritual lives, as if, well, he has all the power and I have none, right? So I can just do nothing and just trust in him. The truth is, church, that is not what living, active spiritual faith is. That is not living, active spiritual faith at all. That is theological misdirection. Christ has come and Christ has died so that we can live our lives in the flesh by the power of God's Spirit. So it will serve us well. It will serve us well not only today, but for all of eternity if we settle this in our minds as well that Christ has all the spiritual power we will ever need. I could end the sermon right now, uh, and I think it would be a faithful preaching of that passage in some way, but I don't think Paul would want me to because there's one more thing I think he wants this passage to untangle for us, and that is this. God's son was crucified to get you into his spiritual family. That's part of what happened on the cross. I want to tell you, for the next four to five weeks, we are going to be talking a lot about Abraham, God's promise to him and his family, and what it really means to be one of his sons. You may already be thinking at this point in the series, why in the world should I care about being Abraham's son? Like, Jesus, I'll take the justification for my sins. That I need. That makes sense. You can keep all this Abraham's son stuff. I don't even know what to do with that, right? I mean, they might have cared about that stuff back then. But these days, I mean, where would I even find the gospel-centered family God is creating by faith? in his crucified son. Okay, I hope, I hope you're seeing this. I hope the dots are connecting. This is God's new spiritual family. We are the sons of Abraham. Now, we may not have cared one bit about being the sons of Abraham. We may not have even understood what that meant when you walked in the door today, but clearly the Galatians did. They were so passionate about becoming the sons of Abraham that they wanted to go get circumcised as adults and start living under the Old Testament law. And the point is this, I want you to notice something. Paul does not say to them, well, why in the world would you want to be a son of Abraham? Who cares? That's not the point of the gospel. Jesus died to justify your sins. What are you worrying about? He doesn't say that. He easily could have, but instead he says, you already are the sons of Abraham. That is the point of the gospel. And the scriptures have foreseen this new spiritual family I'm talking about for many, many centuries. So Christian, if you are relying on Christ's flesh, which means if you're truly a Christian, you are a son of Abraham. Your local church is God's new spiritual family. 
And we have the very same mission and ministry that Paul and these churches had back in the first century. And when we baptized those three men a few weeks ago, we did that because they are sons of Abraham. And when we came together that night and welcomed six more with them to be new members of our church, we did that because they are sons of Abraham. When we take this meal right here and every time we do this Lord's Supper thing, I say, listen, don't take this unless you believe in Jesus. I'm saying that because this meal is for the sons of Abraham. And this family is meant to show the world who is a son of Abraham. And if we let anybody come up here and take bread and drink juice, it will mean nothing. It will mean nothing in that sense. When we open the scriptures each week and we preach the gospel of God's crucified son from them, that's because that is how people receive the spirit that makes them sons of Abraham. And that is how the spirit will perfect us together as God's blood-bought family. So in the next four weeks, as you're thinking, okay, what is the application of all this sons of Abraham thing? Here's what I want you to be thinking. The application is expository preaching. It's baptism. It's the Lord's Supper. It's meaningful church membership. And it's local church planting and multiplication here in Milwaukee and among all nations. And the truth is, the more we understand our Old Testament, the deeper and the richer we see this theology, the more we will appreciate our local church and its mission. Because we will see from the pages of Scripture that it really is a direct result of the gospel, this whole thing we're doing. Now, it is true that if you do not have faith in God's crucified son, you will never be a son of Abraham. It doesn't matter what church you try and join. And it is true that if you have to decide between understanding the family and the way into the family, by all means, know the way into the family. But it is also true that we are downplaying the gospel of Jesus Christ if we treat it as only the good news of how individuals can be justified when God is using it to redeem all of creation, to gather us into a spiritual family, and to glorify himself forever and ever. This is the thing. Your justification, our local church, are just one small part of that grand vision. And so I want to clarify something today. Galatians is not ultimately about God's family. It's not. Or even the way into God's family. Both of those things are essential. But this letter is ultimately about the God who deserves all glory for this spiritual family that he is creating and getting all of us into by faith in his crucified son. It is about God and his glory. But that means not only do you need to keep relying on Christ to be justified, which certainly you do, but we are also responsible to help one another keep relying on Christ in this way, to, to, to help us not to be bewitched and to, to sort of wander off back into the world that Christ has delivered us from, almost as if we're a body that's joined together and grows into maturity as each joint and ligament works together. That was the book of Colossians. Almost as if our fellowship is fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we say that we love God, but we hate our brother, we're a liar, and the truth of the gospel is not in us. That was 1 John. 
almost as if we have no right to withhold fellowship from anyone, even if they're an estranged slave that stole from us and ran away. If Jesus wants to make that estranged slave a brother, he's a brother. That was Philemon. I could do this for almost every sermon series we've preached in the last three years. There is a corporate application, almost as if God expects us to do good to all, especially the household of faith, which is where Paul will end this letter in chapter 6. So this idea that God wants to unite all of us into one spiritual family is not new. Uh, and, and, and please hear me, this is not just something that I like to emphasize because I'm a pastor or a church planter. No, this is what God has been after ever since he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. This is what he looked forward to when he promised to bless all nations through Abraham. And this is what he has accomplished by sending his sinless son to be crucified in the flesh. Now that is the power that has made each one of us Christians. That is the power that will keep all of us Christians till he returns or guides us home.